Chapter Twenty Two of *The Hawk of Egypt* by Joan Conquest, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two, Antiquity. Thou wondrous charm, what art thou? That being nothing, art everything. The mighty future is as nothing, being everything. The past is everything, being nothing. Lamb. In spite of her tongue, which was somewhat unduly inclined to gossip. Lady Thistleton was a motherly old soul and had a great affection for Damaris. I should not like either of my little girls, she was saying the morning after the visit to the Terrace Temple, to visit the ruins or stay out unchaperoned after dark. I am responsible for you, you know, dear, and you are very beautiful and very young. Of course, I know that you are a little unhappy, dear, but other girls have been the same. So you must not worry. Everything will come right. I expect you know all about my Ellen. Damaris nodded. And everybody is so fond of you. Would you like to have a long day in bed today, dear, or go to Dendra with the girls? They are thinking of staying for a few days. Damaris smiled the radiant smile which made her so attractive, and rising, put her arms round the motherly old dear's neck and kissed her, which was an unusual thing for her to do, as she was, as a rule, undemonstrative to coldness. I'd love to go to Dendra, if I may take Janie and Wellington. And I'm truly not worrying. It's just a tremendous spirit of adventure which drives me to do these awful things. So to Dendra she went, with her spirits at highest pitch, at the thought of getting away from Luxor for a few days, and of seeing the wonderful Temple of Hathor, the goddess of joy and youth. She was in riotous spirits when she arrived at the Hotel Dendra in Kulla, where the lovely porous jugs come from. In fact, so blithe was she that Ellen, inclined to despondency and of a superstitious tendency, remarked, "'I should calm myself a little, my dear Damaris. Such gaiety can only lead to depression later on.' But Damaris only laughed. "'How good it is that we cannot visualize beforehand the hour in which our tears must flow, and our hearts must come well-nigh to breaking.' She laughed, she sang, she visited the town, and went to bed early. She teased Jane Coop the next morning, as perilously perched on donkey-back, she headed the little procession which wended its way through the stretches of earth, which later would give a harvest of corn and sweet-scented flowering bean. She urged the panting bulldog along the three good miles, and laughed at him when, sneezing and coughing, he rubbed his great paws over his face, covered with the cobwebs which floated on the air but she stopped laughing when she first caught sight of the great arch of crumbling antiquity, which is all that is left of the edifice upon the side of which the Temple of Hathor was built, and she stood quite still in the overpowering colonnade, whilst the Thistletons, notebooks in hand, rushed inside in the wake of the guide. Jane Coop stopped dead at the outer edge of the colonnade. "'I thought you said it was a temple of love, dearie, all white marble, with doves and lovers' knots and hearts.' It's a tomb, that's what it is, and I'm going to sit outside. I don't like it. It bodes no good. Let's go back, dearie. I don't like the place or the hotel or the town. If we go quickly, we can catch the first boat. Let the others stay if they want to. I'm thinking of you. My heart's telling me that you must not stop, and that if you do, harm will come to you or somebody. Strange was the persistence of the usually placid woman, as she caught her young mistress by the arm and quite violently shook her fist at the sinister face of the goddess, which shows on each side of the columns. And strange it is to know that if the girl had but listened, the harm might not have befallen. But Damaris shook her head. 
"'We must be polite, Janie dear, even if we are dying to go home. Besides, two or three days will do us good, and it will help pass the time until Moraine comes back. Come, Wellwell.' The dog followed his mistress up to the door, but there he stopped. "'Come along, Wellwell,' she repeated. The dog sat down, with a definite air of ending further exploration, as far as ruins were concerned, on his part. "'I think you and Janie are bewitched to-day.' Damaris spoke petulantly, and watched the dog waddle back and sit down beside the maid, who, busy crocheting, sat on a stone some few yards from the temple, to which she had resolutely turned her back. Damaris stood for a moment, feeling as though the very wettest of wet blankets had been wrapped around her, then turned, listened, until she heard Ellen's staccato voice coming from the direction of the antechamber in the middle of the temple, and tiptoed across to the east side, where are to be found the ruined treasury and store-rooms, in which were stored the incense for sacrifice or offering, the vestments and banners, and other such props needful to the correct fulfilment of the rites of an ancient worship which, as far as services go, in display of wealth and sense-stirring accessories, did not differ so very much from what we see in some of our churches in this present day of grace. She came to the stairs, up which so many years ago the mother of Hugh Carden Ali had climbed, on the day when she had fully realized that the crown of love had come to her. Damaris climbed them and stood on the roof, watching, as had watched Jill Carden, the clouds of twittering birds as they flew in the direction of the Libyan hills. Then she crossed to the little shrine of Osiris, stood for a moment unconsciously passing her finger over the carvings, turned as though someone had called her, and ran down the stairs. She stood and listened until she heard Ellen's voice looming from the side-chapel on the western side. Then, and just as though pulled by some invisible hand, she passed quietly through the antechamber into the sanctuary where, in the days of ancient Egypt, the mighty Pharaoh, and he only, entered to commune with the gods at the birth of the new year, and where the mother of Hugh Carden Ali, stricken with the glory of the secret revealed, had fallen unconscious to the ground over twenty years ago. She stood quite still, her heart beating to suffocation. Then she raised her hand and pushed the hair from her forehead. "'I feel just as though the roof was pressing down upon me,' she whispered to herself. "'As though through me something awful was going to happen. I—' She turned and almost ran out of the sanctuary, her footsteps waking the echoes of the roof which had once resounded to the clash of cymbal, the roll of drum, and blare of trumpets. She heard Ellen's strident voice calling to her, telling her to come and join them in the crypts. She paid no heed— she ran on and out into the sunshine, and down to the maid, who was still placidly crocheting. And as she left the ruin the mantle of depression fell from her, and she laughed as she caught the great dog and forced him to walk upon his hind legs. "'No, Janie,' she said that night, as the maid tucked her up in bed, "'here I stay until I have visited the temple thoroughly, and I'll take you down into the creepy crypts and lock you in them, if you worry any more. We all got up too early and hadn't had enough breakfast.' That is why we disliked the place so much. They stayed some days, and then took the public steamer home, Damaris bubbling over with high infectious spirits, which had their birth in a secret hope that she might find a letter from Ben Kellum upon her return. She was leaning over the rail, thinking about him, as the boat made its lazy way downstream. So funny, she was saying to herself as they approached Luxor under a sunset sky, I wonder if he will be at the hotel. I somehow feel him quite near. 
and then her thoughts were distracted by the exclamations and laughter of the passengers as they rushed to the side, causing the boat to take a distinct list. What little things served to amuse us! The blue bottle at the cathedral service, the stray dog which rushes athwart the regal possession, the straw hat blown through the traffic. The steamer was churning up the waters of the river down which Cleopatra had passed in all her power and beauty. On each side were the ruins of temples and tombs, built to the glory of great god or mighty emperor. Yet the tourists flung down guide-books and left their tea to shout encouragement and wave their handkerchiefs to Ben Kellam and Sybil Sidmouth, who were also having tea on the slanting deck of their private steamer, which had run aground on the pestiferous sandbank. Mrs. Sidmouth, in the seclusion of the saloon, was summoning all her strength for a real nerve-storm. Damaris looked hard for a moment, then became deadly white, and backed her way out through the crowd. She flashed a quick glance round in search of the Thistletons, and saw them leaning dangerously far over the rail, trying to attract the attention of Sybil Sidmouth, who was smiling so contentedly as she handed her companion his tea. Then she turned to run to the saloon to hide herself, and ran instead right into Jane Coop's arms. There was a grim set to the maid's mouth, and a steely glitter in her eyes. "'I was just coming to ask you, dearie, if you'd like a cup of tea. One gets fair sick of the ruins and things one sees on this river. The young ladies can come and find you at tea if they want to.' How often had the motherly woman gone out to bring in the lamb from the storm, or hunted the fields and hedgerows for her straying chick? Later, she sat on the edge of her darling's bed and patted the curly head resting on her faithful heart, to the accompaniment of little clucking sounds. "'There now, dearie, there now, there now. It isn't worth crying over. Every river is as full of good fish as ever sailed on it in a boat that couldn't run straight. Let old Nanny dry her baby's tears. There now, there now.' She dried the tear-stained little face with a big handkerchief, and rocked her child to the rhythm of the music which drifted from the hall, borne by the night-breeze, through the open window, until the sobs had ceased. And in the ballroom the Thistleton family nodded their heads sagely to the rhythm of the same music. "'I am sure she didn't see Mr. Kellam and Sybil, Mamma,' Ellen was saying. "'She was having tea when we went to find her, and looked quite all right.' "'I was thankful when I saw her,' broke in Bernice, patting a thick envelope with the Edinburgh postmark. "'On the Nile, together, it really did not seem comme il faut at all,' and wherever Mrs. Sidmouth was, she might have countenanced the, uh, courtship by her presence on deck. "'Well, all's well that ends well,' said Mamma placidly, as she secretly returned thanks that her daughters were not as others. But later, far into the night, Damaris stood at her window, with her arms around the bulldog's neck. "'You're the only one who really loves me well well. Everybody else runs away and leaves me. I'm—I'm I'm so unhappy.' Tears stood in the big eyes as she flung out her arms and cried in a sudden, passionate intensity, "'Moraine, Moraine, I want you, I want you. If you loved me, you had come to me, because I want you so.'" End of chapter 22 Read by Sibella Denton For more information, please visit LibriVox.org